Hello, and welcome to another Sports Next Door podcast. My name is Owen. Today is Sunday, May 16th, and I am joined, as I always am, by my neighbor, Max. How's it going, my friend? Crushed body, mind, and soul. How about you? Uh, I wouldn't go that far. I'm feeling all right, but um, why, don't you, why don't you tell me what's on your mind? <laughs> to elaborate, I just finished a 12-hour shift that started at 8 a.m. and ended at 8 p.m., that I had to wake up at 6.24, which was made more complicated by the fact that I watched as much of the UFC event the night before as I could, which ended up not being that much. I think my body kind of knew the bare minimum of what I needed to get and forced me to get that. Uh, so that's all well and good. But then the issue is I have another 12-hour shift that starts at 8 a.m. tomorrow and another one that starts at 8 a.m. after that. So just in this process of 12 hours on, 12 hours off, 12 hours on, 12 hours off. But of course, the 12 hours on are all working hours and the 12 hours off include transiting back and forth hours. Yeah. So in My some way, crushed <laughs> mind, body, and soul. It's like an athlete playing four games in five nights. It's got two back-to-backs in between. And it's it's like Dennis Rodman, where he plays the night. And then when he's in between games, he's going to Vegas for the night. And the, the athletes are different, man. They don't sleep. But, hey, you get through this, we got Leafs-Habs on Thursday. And that is going to be a awesome time. I might have to quit in time to catch all those games. Yeah. Well... Speaking of those games, we have already dived right into the NHL playoffs. Uh, some great games yesterday and today. So far, we're recording during the Tampa Bay-Florida game, but so far, all of the playoff games have gone to overtime. Um, and this Lightning-Panthers game is a one-goal game, so it's just going to be awesome hockey for the next couple of months or so and uh yeah excited to break that down for everyone then of course we've got combat corner uh i have a little bit of solo action where i talk basketball uh football and baseball um and then we'll finish up with a little bit of tennis if max has got any thoughts on the djokovic nadal final uh that happened today but if not maybe i'll have a couple thoughts of my own so without further ado we will jump right into uh, the Boston Bruins and the Washington Capitals, a game that I got to catch last night. Um, a lot of fun to watch two big brutes of the East take a bite out of each other. Uh, Chara didn't do much in the way of what I was looking for out of him, but he was on the ice and he's moving the puck a little bit and throwing the body around. I think him and Bergeron had a couple of nice net battles on the when the Bruins had a power play and uh, I'm sure that Bergeron was not used to getting as much force applied on him out of Chara versus when they were practicing together. So I did enjoy that part. My takeaways from the game, it was, it was physical, as you would imagine, from these two teams. And uh, you had like the Boston defense, Jeremy Lazan and, and Miller were going to add Ovechkin. A they double teamed him and Gave him a couple nasty cross checks in the corner. Ovechkin was dealing out a lot of big hits. It was just, it was two teams really trying to establish the tone. And that overtook a little bit of the actual hockey because it was a fairly sloppy game. 
both teams are flying end to end, but not a ton of like high danger scoring chances. Uh, and that kind of came on the power play and on the special teams. And then of course, a couple of special plays by um, different playmakers. And uh, in the end, Washington walks away on a, on a deflection in overtime and uh, they take game one and are in the driver's seat. It's, they were talking yesterday on the broadcast last year, seven of the eight teams in the first round that won game one, won the series. So uh, big for all these teams that have won so far. Yeah, I feel pretty good about my Washington pick after watching game one. I thought for the most part they outplayed the Bruins in generating more scoring chances, looking a little more dangerous off the rush, getting the better puck possession time in the zone. I thought they lost in two areas of play took way too many penalties I don't know where the game management book was on that one but I think it was something like four Bruins power plays to one Washington power play and one of Washington or Boston's goals came on the power play and they got completely dominated in the face-off circle I think especially in the first and Boston's other goal came off a face-off so I think I know what Washington is going to be working on in practice over these next couple days and what their mentality is going to be heading into game two. Uh, The biggest surprise for me was that I didn't see, notice the Bruins like perfection line too much. They didn't get a ton of action going, which that's where I expected Boston to like have its biggest strength and like tilt the playing field towards them. Yeah, you know that line is going to be more dangerous as the series moves along. It's actually got a new name that I, I saw has it surfaced deep on the waves of Reddit, but made its way onto the Sportsnet broadcast, the Ratatouille line. Do you know why it's called that? I'm thinking Rat and Marchand. I'm not <laughs> sure where we go from there. You got a third of it. So we've got a Frenchman, a rat, and pasta. <laughs> That's pretty good. I did appreciate that. That was pretty funny when I saw that. Yeah, so not a lot else. I mean, just playoff hockey feels different. It feels so much tighter, even if it is sloppy and just the mistakes are all magnified. You look at uh, Washington's first goal off of almost as benign as like a blue line giveaway gets, but like one man in and just like a perfect give and go. And like, man, I said it a couple of weeks ago or what whenever but like say what you want about tom wilson but the guy is more than just an agitator he certainly can score yeah and they get him going on the power play they stick him in front of the net and he's got enough skill to hang in there with their top guns yeah quite the player (laughs) it's just a different breed today than like 20 years ago the players who fill that role they also have to check other boxes as well which wilson certainly does anyway you mentioned Yeah, you mentioned that playoff hockey is different, and it definitely feels different with uh, a couple of the games. I know right now the first game being played in uh, Sunrise, Florida, is I think their max capacity in the arena. Uh, And you can tell. It it seems loud and really, really bizarre because it's over a year now since we've had, like, rockin' hockey arenas. And then as well in Vegas, you could tell there's a large crowd in that arena, and it had an impact. but it, I think affected all the skaters except of the goaltenders because Flurry and Talbot had an absolute duel today 
Um, and it was like jaw dropping saves on both sides, really steady play. And they just, the two teams couldn't solve each other, goes to overtime. And then uh, Eric Sinek uh, with a game winning goal. And that's a huge one for Minnesota as they get a big, big game one win on the road. Uh, and yeah, Vegas has got to be really kicking themselves because they were in the driver's seat for the president's trophy comes down to the very last game and Colorado jumps them. And now they've got a, it's seemingly much tougher opponent in the Minnesota wild, as opposed to the St. Louis blues. Maybe we'll get to that. Yeah. And then the last game that we've had up until this day was uh, the Pittsburgh Penguins and the New York Islanders. Um, I hate the fact that I already feel a little bit right about how this series is going to go. It just seems like the Penguins cannot overcome this Islanders team. And it's not even Barlamov in the net. It's Ilya Soroykin who goes and throws up an awesome performance. I think it was uh, three goals on 34 shots and, just, I don't know. It's something about this Islanders team and, and especially against Pittsburgh where it's just a really bad matchup and the Islanders somehow are able to squeeze all of the productivity out of their players that they can muster. Yeah. Four goals is more than I expected that roster really to be able to average in the night. I mean, OT, but three is still high for what like their production has been looking like over the past 10 days so guess they're picking it up at the right time which a coach like trots will help with that absolutely and and i did kind of feel it did feel that way a little bit down the stretch of the season when they knew they had a spot locked up and they were pretty certain they were going to be getting the top seed that it was lie low get the guys healthy make sure everyone's together and then we're going to really ramp it up and uh, like I think Barzal got a couple games off down the stretch. This yeah, this Islanders team, they've done the regular season now a couple years in a row, and I think they're just ready to to go in the playoffs. Um, and we saw that in Game One. So some big road wins for Minnesota and, and the Islanders, and uh, yeah, we'll see what happens right now in Florida. And then of course we've got Calgary and Vancouver later, uh, which is basically stick and puck for like three more games this season or four they've got like a whole series to themselves of games that don't matter and i have no idea who will actually be watching those games but really really weird that they've just got those two teams playing and literally no one cares if i were a guy on that team i'd be trying to get out of play and to wrap up the season because you don't want to get hurt in meaningless games like those yeah, I think for Calgary, there's some players who have some things to prove that may determine how their offseason goes, but I will certainly not be tuning in. <laughs> All right, we have arrived at the second half of our playoff predictions. We will go with the Honda West Division to begin. I make, gotta make sure I get my uh, sponsorships in there. <laughs> and uh, the, it all pay off. And the first, or I guess the series that we will be previewing here uh, is the St. Louis Blues and the Colorado Avalanche. So, Max, I'll let you go first. Yeah, no suspense really on this one. I've got to pick Colorado. Just St. Louis hasn't shown enough and how they've played against Colorado this season, um, where their roster's at health-wise, performance-wise. 
Colorado coming in full momentum doesn't hurt either. It is, I think, um, has a lot more potential to be a lot more interesting than like the quickness of my pick says, though. I, you're talking about the Islanders as a team just now that can ramp it up in the playoffs. I think St. Louis also has that ability. And I think maybe something about having a guy like Tarasenko out just it sets the tone of what this team is going to need to do. They're, they're not going to outscore this super talented Colorado team. Goals are going to be very hard to come by. So the game plan is going to have to be to make them just as hard and even harder for Colorado to come by. And this is a team with a lot of playoff experience and grit. So I'm picking Colorado to get it done. But I'm really curious if the Blues have some sort of playoff gear to kick it into and really challenge the Avalanche because the Stars showed last year, once you put the Avalanche on their back foot, they don't have like the, they didn't have the respond then mentality. Yeah, I'm going Colorado. I think the only reason Dallas won that series last year is because Colorado was on to Michael Hutchinson as their goaltender. Um, they now have their number one guy back in Philip Grubauer. This team is an absolute wagon up and down the roster. The only thing that really stands between them uh, and the next round is Jordan Bennington. And if he can recreate the magic he had two seasons ago on St. Louis's Stanley Cup run, uh, where he was practically unbeatable, that's really the only scenario I can see playing out here because, yeah, Colorado is just like, it's so dominant and kind of feels like Carolina, Colorado is one of these teams that's on the upswing and just one of these years, they're going to break through and make a really deep run. And why not this year? President's trophy, not a <laughs> bad indicator, although never seems to pan out that way. Yeah. We'll move on to the other series. Oh, unless you have one last. Thought. No, just it's a, a funny series to pick when game one game has already happened, but we were very handcuffed. Yes. Uh, so the other series, of course, in the West Division has already begun, the Vegas Golden Knights and the Minnesota Wild. Uh, I'll go first here, and I will continue to back the team that I would have picked at the beginning, and that is Vegas. Despite the stat that I just mentioned about uh, teams winning game one, this Vegas team does not follow the rules of stats and kind of like our Leafs in a negative way. It seems like Vegas gets more of the positive outcomes for these things. Uh, a expansion team that no one thought much of, and they make it to the Stanley cup finals in their first year of inception. Uh, and they've just been rolling ever since this team. Again, I think it's a collision course between Colorado and Vegas and whoever wins that series is in the final and my favorite to win it. Uh, I've said that all year, and I'm going to continue to do so. Loaded roster. Max, you've got uh, both of their defensemen in your all-NHL team. And Marc-Andre Fleury already showing today that he is locked in for this playoffs, and this might be his fa his final deep run. And so I expect great things from him. Yeah, Vegas is my choice. Yeah, same for me. I Really, it comes down to I think this is the best defensive team in the NHL right now. Just looking at the top four they have and Fleury as like a, he might have a run at Vesna. It'll be interesting to see how that plays out against Vasilevsky, but definitely second only behind Vasilevsky based on the season he had. And I 
think a team like that, it will just be a matter of time before they crack Minnesota and get their offense going. And once they do that, it'll be fairly easy work. Just a matter of finding that right tone to set, right plays. And I think the defense will hold the fort long enough for them to do so. All righty. We have reached the Scotia North Division, and we will first preview the Winnipeg Jets visiting the Edmonton Oilers. Max, who you got? It really feels like I'm picking here between Connor McDavid and uh, is it Connor Hellebuck? Yeah. Yeah, Battle of the Connors. And got to go McDavid. It's the season he had has had is just too special to end that easily. And I, I think we like, if all else fails, uh, they're just going to be putting him on like 25, 26 minutes of game time a night in over. If they can like bring it to overtime, I feel like he's going to be the difference maker almost every night in there. Um, yeah, I'm, I, it is interesting that, if the Winnipeg Jets can find some way to shut Connor McDavid down, then they really step into the driver's seat because offensive depth is massively in their favor. As good a top six as any team in the NHL, I've said, and I'll even say as good a top nine. So I like Winnipeg's depth scoring against Edmonton, but I don't like any of their defensemen to cool down McDavid and statistically on the season, they really were unable to do so. So I'm picking McDavid to route the Jets. Yes. Based on the regular season, this is the worst possible scenario for the Jets. Just a terrible matchup for them. I think Pierre-Luc Dubois is going to have to be their guy for McDavid, right? He did a really solid job last year against the Leafs in their first round and um, was deemed as a potential franchise two-way center. And if he really wants to live up to that moniker, then he is going to have to do something to at least, you're not going to stop McDavid, but you want to take a bite out of him. You want to get under his skin. You want to just wear him down so he's not that same electric player that he is every single night. Uh, and that's definitely going to be his task going into this series, Dubois that is. Uh, and then the other wild card is is Mike Smith. Will he continue to perform as a 40-plus-year-old goaltender now the way he has all season, or will age, will the wear and tear catch up to him and uh, have a couple bad performances? And then if you're Edmonton, you worry that, like, in a battle of goaltenders, Connor Hellebuck, like, he just could have a couple games where he steals them, and then you could have Mike Smith with a couple games where he gives it away. Uh, and that leads to a an upset in the series. So definitely the guy to watch on the back end for Edmonton. But I am also picking the Oilers because McDavid is on a mission this year. Yeah, he's there's very few players in hockey, you can say this, but he can change the game by himself. And it's I don't if you put a guy like Leon Dreisaitl on his flank, I don't care who's in that like he's gonna find a way to score and I, I just especially the overtime and the way the uh, playoffs so far have played bears this out but just I remember this sinking feeling in a couple games going against Edmonton one in particular it was just like 
there's i mean it was three on three but it was just there's no way mcdavid's on a mission tonight we he's gonna make a goal happen and i i don't think winnipeg has the defense to stop that and it doesn't matter how good your goaltender is if mcdavid has enough time enough space to set something up he'll find a way to make it happen we arrive at our most at least you and i our most anticipated series as uh fans with rooted interest toronto maple leafs hosting the montreal canadians in a best of seven series um First time in, what, 30 years since these two have squared off in the playoffs, and it is going to have a lot of history, but obviously that means nothing. And, yeah, this is going to be a series that I welcome because it's no longer the Bruins, but, you know, Gallagher's back. You know, Carey Price is probably going to be back. And what sort of new thing can the Leafs do to break everyone's heart? Uh, I just try to skip that part. And... Hey, like this team is just so rock solid up and down. I have to back them and I have to choose them. And I think Toronto is going to win this series, break through that first round. The amount of depth on this team is ridiculous. Like the lines are running out there. Riley Nash is third line center. Your fourth line is Thornton, Spezza, and Simmons, all guys on min deals with like severely undervalued. Uh, and then you've got like, Galchenyuk's not even in the starting lineup. You've got Brooks not even in the starting lineup. Uh, back ends looking like Sandine Dermott as the third pair, which he can gives me a little bit of worry in a playoff series, but those guys will not be playing that much. And I, and I feel better about those top two pairs, especially with the way Brody's played this year. And, and you got to ride Jack Campbell, who's had an outstanding season. Uh, yeah, I just, this is the best Leafs team assembled in a really long time. And they really have to do something this year. Uh, otherwise I don't know what Toronto's gonna look like yeah I mean I picked them to have be number one in the division at the start of the season for most of those reasons and I'm happy to pick them to win this series for them again I we're both <laughs> I don't know crossing our fingers like I don't know what's going on in the back of your mind as I say this but I I can't not not pick them there's there's really no reason they can't win this series. It, it's felt like an uphill battle in most of the playoff series they have been in. Um, I guess Columbus should have been easier than it was, but in hindsight, they seemed to that lineup seemed to match up really well against us. And I don't think Montreal has that same style of play and that same matchup, and just the offensive depth has no excuse to not generate enough goals a game the jack campbell has been excellent for most of his season frederick anderson is not a bad at all backup to have uh i'm hoping to see something special from sandine but that top four is as good as we can hope for and there's plenty of depth as you mentioned in case of one two three freak injuries so no excuses boys it's now or never yep a possibly beaten and battered Montreal team, but a team you cannot count out by any means. They actually made it to the playoffs last year while the Leafs didn't and, and made a little bit of noise. And this team has got a lot of spunk. Uh, they come at you all four lines, really effective. And in the playoffs, like 
teams that stick to their system and play well generally have a pretty decent ceiling, maybe not necessarily a finals contender, but a ceiling to win a couple rounds. And that is, that is what you worry about as a Leafs fan. And Hey, if Carey Price is back and healthy, who knows what he can do because at a time he was the best goaltender in the world. And so, uh, yeah, Montreal definitely is going to be in there. It's going to be a heck of a series that I cannot wait for. Yeah, it's, I'm excited. <laughs> so we will pull out and talk about who we think will be winning those two divisions. Uh, we have Vegas and Colorado, both of us. And Max, I will leave it to you to pick a winner of that battle of Goliaths. Man. I think I'm going Vegas. I most of the same reasons I picked them to beat the wild. I and just this team continues to surprise and impress and have somehow established their floor above what anyone thought their ceiling could be at this point, which is just so absurdly impressive that on the merits of that, I'm going with them. I'm going Colorado. I got to back them. I think this team, this is, this is their year to go. The goaltending's there and uh, Nathan McKinnon is super special and you, he turns it up come playoff time. And I don't know if Vegas necessarily has the, the personnel to match up with what he does. I don't know if anyone is, does quite frankly, but yeah, when it, he turns it up come playoff time and it might be time for a new Cole Harbor kid to raid, raise Lord Stanley's mug. But let's move on to the North Division, where we have the Toronto Maple Leafs and the Edmonton Oilers. <sighs> I have to pick Toronto. Again, similar reasons to Montreal. Like, you got to back your team. But also this season, I just think the Leafs have matched up well against Edmonton. There was that run they had that one week where they beat Edmonton, just wiped the floor with them. Three different goalies got the win in over that stretch, Hutchinson, Campbell, and Anderson. And they, I don't know if what they're doing, but they seem to have figured out Connor McDavid a little bit more than the other teams in the division, just in terms of how they approach the matchup. And um, obviously Connor's had some ridiculous highlights against Leafs teams, primarily Morgan Riley, but uh, hey, that's going to happen when it's a talent that special. And I just think the Leafs overall should be able to win out with their depth and, and find a way. Yeah, it's it helps when you have two different lines that can put up like 0.7 of what McDavid can do. And you're not afraid of him going off because you know you can match it, especially against like some of the paper thin depth of Edmonton with and you know your top lines are going to get a chance, especially if they're stacking McDavid and Dreisaitl together. And yeah, going with Toronto. So there you have it. We have both picked the uh, similar West and North teams as opposed to our varying East and Central teams. But uh, you now have all of our picks for the NHL playoffs. And with that, Dig in, enjoy the hockey. It's going to be spectacular and who knows what's going to happen. You just got to love it. NHL playoffs, NBA playoffs. What a time to be alive. We'll take a quick break and come back for some combat corner. And we're back. 
for some combat corner uh ufc 262 last night um great undercard and a great main card from what i saw on the social interwebs uh but max is here to give us his insight and analysis so max i will throw it over to you yeah as i said at the start of this podcast i was going in and out of consciousness following this card so i don't have a ton to say about it and it's a little segmented but certainly got some takes and the first thing i want to do is kind of pat myself on the back because all three fights i got right and i was pretty close in calling habit play out the first one being edson bart boza versus shane burgos um it like i said Burgos put the pressure on Barboza. He had some success with that, but the defense just wasn't there with that kind of pressure when you're standing in front. And Barboza was able to land continuously. The the torso of Burgos was very red, not quite as red as the blood on Barboza's leg from how many times he kicked Burgos, but that didn't seem to slow down his pace at all. he landed to the body, he landed to the head, he landed to the body, he landed to the leg, and eventually the head got the message and shut off about five seconds after the final hook from Barboza went in. Just the same kind of shot he'd been landing all night, uh, stepping in, catching Burgos with his guard down when Burgos was putting on the pressure and putting a lot of oomph behind that shot and eventually Burgos's body got the message and went down which I've never seen before and was a very wild knockout but congratulations to Edson Barboza I do think this fight showed his ceiling at featherweight because while he did stop um, Burgos and put a bit of a like kicking clinic on at times um, Burgos also did have a fair amount of success pressuring Barboza just with the jab, the strikes. And you think about the top of the division, especially Max Holloway, and it's really hard to imagine Barboza overcoming that. So a great win for him. He's a top five featherweight probably, but I don't think he ever makes it to a title shot or gets a crack, though. Different people will match up differently. I guess what I'm really saying is Edson Barboza will never beat Max Holloway. Maybe he matches up really well against Alex Wolkanovsky. I'm not sure. The next fight I want to talk about is one which I unfortunately did not really catch, but I do have to pat myself on the back because I called it exactly how it went. Uh, Domination from Benil Dariush over Tony Ferguson, a submission that almost anyone else would have tapped to, but not Tony Ferguson. And another three rounds lost for Ferguson on this losing streak that he is on, which, as I said in the last episode, I do not think Tony Ferguson will retire until the UFC forces his hand. But... His stock is falling fast, and unfortunately with that, the value of a win over him is also falling. I don't really know what this does with for Benil at this point. It's when a guy just keeps losing every round and not really getting to show what he can do, it's hard to rate how impressive a win over him is. Um, he does add one more win to a fantastic streak that he's on, and just the merit of that streak alone, I think, puts him 
deserving of like a top five important matchup, but it is a top five full of killers. Maybe he should fight um, Michael Chandler, who just lost in the main event to our Charles Oliveira, the new lightweight UFC champion of the world, which again, I woke up as the second round was starting, watched Charles Oliveira land a perfectly placed left hook uppercut and put Chandler down and finish it in just perfect fashion. And that's what that whole sequence was, perfect. The hand not too loopy, the positioning right where he needed to be to time it. Um, I love it wasn't quite a hook, it wasn't quite an uppercut, but to do that like with your lead hand and generate that much power without like reaching down and having to swing up for the fences is just really impressive. And I think the third or fourth UFC event I ever watched as a budding fan was Oliveira losing to Paul Felder at uh, UFC 217, I believe. So to have seen that for his first fight and then watch him go on this ridiculous winning streak that has now culminated in a UFC title has been fantastic. The stand-up evolution at this point is undeniable to just have the pressure to knock out Chandler. Like I said, I think a jujitsu guy like Oliveira is best suited to take on a wrestler who he's not afraid of getting taken down by, but man, that left hand was just perfect. So impressive how far he's come and evolved his game. You don't get to the top of anywhere near the top 15 of the lightweight division without striking beyond like what you need in almost any other division and he's now at the top of it so i'm so happy to see Oliveira as the champion this guy has the best jujitsu in the division for sure he showed fantastic wrestling against ferguson and now he just got a beautiful knockout to become champion so get you a guy who can do it all to be your champ and that champ is charles Oliveira. Hopefully, his next fight is against Dustin Poirier after Poirier takes care of the McGregor trilogy. If it doesn't go that way, it gets a lot more complicated, but we'll save that for then. And for now, just leave it at congrats to Charles Oliveira. I I lied. I'm not going to leave it there. I need to do some finger wagging at Texas MMA because I don't know how the hell they pick their judges, but... I, I didn't think they could ever do worse than Joe Solis, the guy who didn't give James Krause a round after he had four and a half minutes of back control looking for a rear naked choke, but they seem to have given out these bizarre 30-27 decisions multiple times on the night. Um, I didn't see the first one, but I heard it was an absolute travesty. I did see the second one giving... Uh, Caitlin Chukagian, the first and second round in her fight, I she got outstruck and by far harder punches in the first round and then like mounted and kind of dominated for like a good two minutes in there with like chokes. 30-27 on that fight is an absurd score. 
Texas, you're an embarrassment already, but you don't need to be any more embarrassing than you are in certain things. Fix your judges, please. And I'm back. This is uh, this is a little bit different. I have to record this portion of the podcast without Max before he joins me later tonight. And I'm going to take this section of the pod to run down all of the sports ending in ball. So uh, we're going to start with the basketball storylines. Uh, I wanted to skip back to Friday afternoon where LeBron James, after taking many uh, interviews and having a bunch of quotes saying he wasn't sure if he would ever come back to 100 percent uh and of course very seemingly setting it up for him to have this great return you know he loves the hashtags washed king uh things like that and he is back the lakers get a much needed win against the indiana pacers keeps their hope alive of staying out of the play-in tournament uh and he was he threw down this absolutely beautiful alley-oop from Dennis Schroeder, but just showing he is back and he is ready. And this Lakers team is scary for any of those uh, top seeds that may have to see them earlier than they would have normally liked to. And so the, leading into tonight, the podcast is a little bit ahead of these final uh, Sunday night games. But if the Lakers win and the Blazers lose, then they will jump into that three seed and have a first round matchup with the Los Angeles Clippers. Either way, we win, though, because if they lose or if the Blazers win tonight, then they will be locked in a playing game with Steph Curry uh, set to go on Wednesday. So also an amazing potential matchup. And either way, as fans, uh, we don't lose and cannot wait to see either of those because the Lakers with LeBron, with AD, uh, integrating Drummond into their system, it, it's going to be pretty special to watch. And, and they've got size to really take over a number of different physical playoff series. I'm going to move on to the play-in implication games that we had today. Uh, besides the Lakers tonight, we have the Washington Wizards playing against the Charlotte Hornets this afternoon, uh, and the Wizards pull it out 115-110, and they will be the eight seed after fighting their way up to the 10 seed. They flip-flop with Indiana for the nine seed and will manage to pull themselves within one game of Charlotte, and they were able to do it, and, and it puts them in the driver's seat now in the play-in tournament. They go to Boston, who does not have Jalen Brown, uh, so they can very easily win that game and become the seven seed. But if not, they are now not fighting directly for their lives in, in a two-game plan scenario. They only have to win one, uh, and that is huge for them. They're exactly the example that the league was trying to show when they were creating this play-in tournament of a team that had a terrible start to the season, had a lot of superstar potential and, and guys who could fill in and, and play a solid role. And, and just with Beal and Westbrook, like I had them projected to make the playoffs at the beginning of the season. They struggle. They have a stretch. They deal with COVID, injuries, et cetera. Uh, but because of this play-in tournament, they are able to claw their way to 10 and have an opportunity. And, and in the end, they ended up getting the eight seed, but this is a, a great opportunity for them to, to make some noise in the playoffs. So it'll be Washington heading to Boston and Charlotte, who had an amazing fun season. Uh, rookie of the year, most likely in LaMelo Ball, Terry Rozier, Devontae Graham, Gordon Hayward's had an excellent season. He's injured. Who knows if he'll be ready for the play-in tournament. Uh, just <laughs> Miles Bridges <laughs> and their commentators, of course, just been a really fun season from them. 
they have such a great season. They hover around the middle seeds and they end up as the 10 seed and they have to go to Indiana. Uh, and that will not be an easy matchup for them, but LaMelo Ball will get to see his first sort of postseason action. Uh, and we look forward to that. And it'll be Charlotte visiting Indiana for the play first playing game in the East. Moving on to the West, I already mentioned it, but the Blazers have to beat the Nuggets tonight to make sure that they secure the sixth seed. If not, it comes down to the Lakers game uh, and against the Pelicans. And if the Lakers win, Blazers lose. Lakers jump into the sixth seed. Lakers lose, doesn't matter. They're stuck at seven. We go into the afternoon today on Sunday. <laughs> Just an awesome, awesome game between the Grizzlies and the Warriors. I almost said the Steph Curry's, and that is because he had an outstanding performance today. Uh, 46 points. Canadian Dylan Brooks was all up in his jersey. He ended up fouling out because of how aggressive and how physical he was being with Steph. And uh, whenever he was guarding him, Steph was having troubles. But uh, whenever it was D'Anthony Melton or John Morant or any other big who really got switched out, Curry was able to just make minced meat out of that Grizzlies defense. Uh, Memphis was able to pull it close and they even brought it back there. I think they were down almost 20 points and then they were tied late in the fourth quarter and the Warriors hit a couple big threes and then Steph went deep into his bag and had a crazy step back three to ice it and was celebrating hard and, and that is a huge win for Golden State and uh, destiny is in their hands. They just have to win one game in the playing tournament and they're in and I mean, just like the Lakers, the Warriors and the Lakers being in this play tournament is just terrible for Utah and Phoenix at the top of the table. I don't think you want to see either of these teams and either of these superstars, LeBron and Steph in the first round, but the playoffs, that's, you got to beat the best to, to win the trophy. And so uh, it's going to be super, super excellent by the time we get there. And then the last thing, I guess, is who the Lakers and Warriors most likely will be going up against if they win the seventh and eighth seed in the play-in tournament. It will be between uh, Utah and Phoenix, and that gets decided tonight. Spurs blew, or pardon me, the Suns blew out the Spurs last night, and uh, they play them again today, and Etwan Moore hits a game-winning three, so it now comes down to the Jazz and Kings tonight. And if the Jazz win, they get the one seed. If they do not win, uh, they slide into the two seed. So it'll be interesting to see if the Jazz actually play their starters because the Suns did not today. They were fine losing that game and sitting in the two seed. So really, um, will we see Mitchell and Conley back trying to get a couple reps in before the playoffs or will they just continue to rest and just get everyone healthy for uh, the first round? So that is the fun stuff that we get to watch. Uh, some other things, the Knicks clinch the fourth seed. Uh, everything else is really settled into place. So I thought I'd take a moment here to outline the Canadians that I'm excited to watch uh, in the playoffs. Of course, the Toronto Raptors are not in the playoffs this year. You can read a feature article that I wrote about the exciting things that the Raptors have ahead of them next season. That is on our website. Uh, but in the meantime, we will have to find the Canadian players that we are excited to watch. And uh, the first couple played today, uh, four of them in total in the afternoon game between Memphis and Golden State. Uh, for the Grizzlies, we have Dylan Brooks and Brandon Clark. Dylan Brooks, except, especially, is uh, 
just a hustler. He grinds, he plays solid defense. He talks a lot of trash. He's, he's got a nice mid-range game, really solid two-way player. Um, and yeah, just looking forward to seeing what he can do against some of the top matchups because uh, he did a, a, a good job on Steph today, just a little bit of foul trouble with his aggression. Brandon Clark had a wonderful season last year as a rookie, was named to an all-rookie team. Um, has regressed a little bit this season. And I think that's just because Memphis has so many really talented and, and solid dudes that they have in the rotation. So he's, I think, having a little bit of difficulty finding his place. Uh, but <laughs> only a second year in the league, shown a lot of flashes of great potential and uh, be interesting to see what he brings come playoff time. On the other side of that, the Warriors have Andrew Wiggins, of course, who's been a mainstay, top Canadian player for a while now. Uh, he had some decent moments this season and he's really bought in on the defensive end this season uh definitely had the tools to be a good defender but was always relied on heavily to put up buckets for the Timberwolves and so in this new system having to play a little bit more defense he's actually Sean and with some of the gravity that Steph places on the Warriors offense he's getting a lot more open looks uh as well and the flow of that offense other notable Canadians to watch, Dwight Powell uh, of the Dallas Mavericks, catching lobs from Luka everywhere. Should be great to watch him play after he missed most of last season with an ACL injury. RJ Barrett of the New York Knicks, uh, top three pick. He is going to have a very interesting matchup. It's either going to be Miami or Atlanta, and in both of those, he'll have uh, a couple of smaller guards that maybe he can take advantage of and will be relied on heavily by New York to put up a ton of points if the attention is focused on Julius Randle. Tristan Thompson of the Boston Celtics has a play-in matchup that he has to get through and um, hasn't been his best season, but you know he is a playoff performer. He had so many great years with the Cavs where he was just really active on the boards uh, and could be a decent rim protector and rim runner. Uh, and so who knows, maybe he will turn it up. Playoff T uh, could be a possibility. And then uh, we finish with O'Shea Brissett, who was on the Raptors earlier this year, uh, got cut because he just didn't fit in with the roster and had, and the Raptors wanted to give other guys opportunities. He goes to Indiana. Uh, he's been a stat sheet stuffer, nothing that jumps out, but just putting up a lot of numbers in a lot of different places. He rebounds well. He's been scoring a little bit, some blocks, some steals. Great late-season fantasy pickup if you're into that sort of thing. And, uh, yeah, wish nothing but the best for O'Shea as he has to go up against the Charlotte Hornets uh, on Tuesday. And then I forgot to mention Michael Mulder, also on the Golden State Warriors. He's a sharpshooter. Don't know how many minutes he'll get uh, in the playoffs, but – Definitely something to look out for because he is a new Canadian to the scene. Um, hadn't really played a lot before this season. And so just great for Canadian basketball that there's more and more guys entering the league. And uh, I think now for, what is it, the fourth year running, Canada's had the second most represented uh, players in the league besides the United States. And that's just awesome for Canada basketball moving forward. So those are my guys to keep an eye on if you're interested. I will move on to football and more specifically uh, footy, soccer, across the pond. Leicester City uh, beating Chelsea yesterday to capture the FA Cup in British football, uh, one of their peripheral uh, cups that you can, that have a number of different rounds and, and got British teams from 
the very top to all like the fourth division uh, things that I talked about when we were talking about our Super League. And that is kind of where I wanted to take this conversation is the Super League all is talked. It's, it's now been dissolved. But this was one of the things that the Super League was going to destroy. Uh, obviously, the FA Cup would still be running, but this is a prime example. Like Leicester City, they win the FA Cup. It reminds you of way back they did the nearly impossible and won the Premier League, and that would never happen. It, if there was a Super League created and those fans would never have those incredible memories that they will remember for the rest of their life. And so just kind of another reminder yesterday with Leicester City's success that a Super League could really ruin the tradition and the opportunity that some of these more local fan bases get with their teams. And then the last bit of soccer news was there was a goalie goal today. The keeper for Liverpool uh, came up. It was 1-1. Liverpool, 94th minute, needs to score a goal to keep their Champions League hope alive. Uh, I think there's two matches left on the season uh, in the Premier League, and they are sitting in the five slot behind Chelsea and Leicester City within three points of both of those teams. They need a win to stay in it. Uh, and the goalie comes forward and gets a header scores a goal in the 94th minute unbelievable reactions from everyone and again one of those things that you see once in a blue moon but was really really cool to see uh and Liverpool stays alive only two points behind Chelsea um and Chelsea and Leicester City actually play each other coming up this week in the Premier League so that'll be a big one uh everyone will have their eyes on that from Liverpool to see if they can jump either of those and either of those two in the table Finally, I want to finish up with some baseball uh, for my solo portion of the podcast. Anthony Kay yesterday gave the Jays four solid innings. Really great outing from him as the bullpen was just lights out throughout the game yesterday. Nine scoreless innings. And I wanted to shout out the lower half of the Jays order. So your Guriel, Biggio, Reese McGuire, uh, Santiago Espinal, Jonathan Davis, all those guys have been pitching in like of course the top three four guys in the lineup have been red hot and ton of extra base hits today in the Jays 10-8 win after they were up eight nothing but the table has been set a little bit more for these guys by your later inning hit or your later in the order hitters Guriel has definitely started to heat up Kevin Biggio has brought his on base percentage back up above league average with a ton of walks uh Telez before his injury today hopefully it's not too serious but looked bad when he slipped on home plate uh he was starting to do good things he got hit by a couple of pitches that always helps your on-base percentage and then Reese McGuire a guy who every single team passed on when he got waived by the Jays and then he uh made it down to the minors they were calling back up uh he actually has been hitting well and I didn't think that was possible because I think last year he bat under uh 10 or 100 or 10 percent right so uh, happy for Reese that he's been able to make the most of his opportunity this year. And yeah, like I said, big, big win today. They take another series. Um, so they've been on quite a roll and they need to keep it up because the top four teams in the American League East are separated by two games right now. Tampa's in fourth, uh, <laughs> New York in third, us in second, and then Boston in first. And it is very tight. And this AL East is by far and away the most dominant division in baseball right now. I would say the NL West with the Giants, the Dodgers, 
Uh, and the Padres also up there, but four teams that are four games above 500 or more right now in the AL East, it is just a murderer's row. And uh, the Jays get an off day tomorrow, and then they've got the Red Sox coming to town, and that'll be a huge series. You need to take at least two of those games, and uh, we will see what happens there. Really excited for that one. The last note I have uh, is Albert Pujols joining the uh, the dark side and <laughs> hopping on the Death Star, the Los Angeles Dodgers. He signs a, a contract for the rest of the season. If he somehow manages to pull out a, a, a final postseason run hurrah, then that is just, of course, another incredible asset that the Dodgers really don't need. Uh, but he know, he's going there knowing that's his best shot to probably win a World Series. And that's what he wants to do to cap up cap off an incredible career, then I guess that's up to him. I'm sure he won't get a ton of play throughout the regular season, uh, but a great veteran leader. Uh, heard lots of amazing stories from guys around the league about how much of an influence and how much of a class act Albert Pujols is. So I guess best of luck to him. If the Jays can't win it, then maybe you'd be happy for him to win it, but it's just tough cheering for the Dodgers, man. They are just so, so good and fun to root against. So that'll do it for me. Uh, I ripped through this solo portion of the podcast. Uh, we will come back after this, and it'll probably be Max and I talking about tennis to wrap things up. So thanks. And I'm back, and Max is back with me, and we are talking just a teensy bit of tennis to wrap up the show here. We had the final of the Italian Open today between Rafael Nadal and Novak Djokovic, and Rafael Nadal winning his record-extending 10th Italian Open. I don't know who is in second, but it seems like they are far away. He is just the king of clay. Uh, yeah, congrats to Rafa. And just in time, right? The French Open now, feeling like it's almost just around the corner, and he couldn't pick a better time to go and win a tournament. And that match against Chapo, fantastic. Part of the run uh, facing Djokovic, who played almost five hours yesterday. So that's got to be taken into consideration, especially the 6-1 set Rafa had in the second. But uh, yeah, I, it does put him right back in the driver's seat for the French Open. Um, I think questions have been answered. And yeah, that home. I mean, obviously I was at work today, but my takeaway from the fact that is just I'm really happy that the favorite to win the French Open is going to be the favorite to win the French Open. And we have every reason to believe he'll be as in good form and ready as he can be. So I think that's an awesome thing to have going in. Absolutely. And it will be fun to see if uh, our Canadians can get back and maybe Bianca will be back by then for her go at the French Open. Yeah, should be a good tournament coming up. Always an awesome one, one of the oldest. I know I say that every single time it comes up, but it's true. Thank you so much, everyone, for tuning in for our pod tonight. Uh, we're everywhere you want to find us, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Uh, my feature article on the Toronto Raptors is up on our website, so give that a read if you have a chance. Share it with your friends if you like it. Uh, even reach out to me if you got any feedback or anything you want to pass along. Appreciate it. I love the discussion, uh, and I'm looking forward to having that discussion with anyone who's interested. 
And yeah, just keep hanging in there. We are very close to being normal, especially in the States. It's basically everything's running back to what it was. So congrats to our friends south of the border, but we are almost there here up in Canada. Must be nice. Sports Next Door signing off.